Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Advent season, this time to talk about uh, what your incarnation means uh, for us. Um, Thank you that you didn't leave us to uh, fend this for ourselves, but uh, you've sent your son to die on a cross for us, to be born first and, and to live a perfect life so that when he does go to the cross, he has perfection and righteousness in order to impute to us. And so, Father, we thank you for that, and we pray for our time tonight as we get in your word. Pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers of the word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I mean, I, I want to briefly preach tonight from, from the topic entitled, Christ has come. Christ has come. We all view Christmas differently, right? Everyone has a different view of Christmas. So kids view Christmas as a time of lights and, and candy and Santa Claus and trees and gifts, right? Teenagers view it as a, as a time to be off from school, right? Adults view it as a time where we look back at our credit cards and, and, and we repent for the things that we've spent and, and the things that we've bought. Right? Businesses look at this as a time to deplete the, the current inventory and to raise prices. Mercy Ministries view this, view this time as a time to serve and help those that are less fortunate. So I, I wanted to get in the scriptures and find out what the Bible says about this time. Not just what the world says about this time, not just what our views are, not what tradition has shown us, but I want to see what does the, the Bible say about it. Romans chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 calls this time the fulfillment of scripture. Philippians chapter 2 calls this time a time when God comes into the world in great humiliation. Hebrews 2.14 calls this a time where Satan will be destroyed, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. John chapter 4 verse 14 talks about this time as the birth of the Savior of the world. 1 Timothy, Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15 that this is a time where sinners will be saved. He says this is a trustworthy saying and is deserving of full acceptance. And he says this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to save sinners, and then he makes it personal. Christmas is personal to him, of whom I am chief of. And so, so this Christmas time is a very personal time to him. Just this week, I got in the mail a bunch of Christmas cards, which we get every year, and I love to see it. It's families uh, with pictures of their kids, their beautiful kids. Somebody sent us a family of their dog, and we see Christmas trees, and we've seen stars, and we've seen mangers, and we've seen Mary and Joseph, and we've seen animals, and all the candy canes. We've seen all this stuff. And, but I, I wanted to look in the scriptures and see a Christmas story that just did not talk about the manger. And and these things are important. I'm not negating these things, but when we look in John's gospel, he does not give us any account of any mangers. He's not, Mary's not mentioned, no animals are mentioned, wise men aren't mentioned. And these are all good things because because, uh, as Pastor Larry preached this morning in Luke, we got a historical account of what happened. But John's gospel gives us a theological account. He doesn't mention any of those things. He doesn't even mention a baby. He doesn't mention any of those things. And these things are all good, but John's account zooms us into what the theological account is. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in the Christmas spirit. We put up a tree last night. Now, I know we're a little late, but we went out into Home Depot 
got us a tree. My wife likes the, the tall trees, and so we got us a tree. In fact, before we left here, my son named it Mr. Pine, and so we're leaving, and he says, bye, Mr. Pine, to the tree. And so we're all in. We sang, we've sang Christmas songs. We, we've, we've had Motown Christmas playing it out. Now, if you've never listened to Motown Christmas during Christmas season, like you're, you're deprived of, of some serious Christmas music. Like, when else are you going to get the Supremes, Jackson 5, you get uh, Stevie Wonder. Who else is on there? The Temptations. You've never heard Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer until you've heard The Temptations. Like this is, we, I mean, we do it every year. In fact, my wife has a black cassette tape. Now, some of you don't even know what that is. But she has a cassette tape of it that we listen. We don't even listen to it the new way. We pull out the old radio, the boom box, the radio Rahim. We pop the cassette tape in and we play it. Like we are in to Christmas. So I, I, I'm not writing off the, the Christmas spirit, but I, I just want to, I want to move past all that stuff tonight. Let's move past it. Let's, let's just get in because John does a great job of answering the question, who is this child born in Bethlehem? Who is this child in which the astronomy called out his birth? The, the, right? the stars pointed to his location. Wise men come and fall to their face and worship. As Recap, if you guys were here this morning, Recap talked about baby dedications, but he says, Jesus didn't have a baby dedication. We came and fell at his, our knees and worshiped him. Amen. And who, who is this baby? John gives us the answer. Who is this baby that King Herod decided that he would be threatened by this baby and tried to kill, well, he did kill all of the newborn males in Bethlehem under two years old. Who is this baby? So John gives us six portraits of Jesus. He tells us that he's eternal. He tells us that he's with God, meaning he's equal. He tells us that he is God. He tells us he's a creator, he's life-giving, and he's the revealed one. That is what John is going to tell us tonight. Verse number one says this. In the beginning was the word. So he shows us that this child that is born in a manger is eternal. He says in the beginning, he goes back to Genesis chapter one. He goes back to the first three words of the Bible, in the beginning. And so Jesus' incarnation didn't start at him and his birth, but Jesus already existed is what, Paul is, is, is what John is saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the eternal one. This is a direct reflection of Genesis chapter one. Get your mind on what that verse says in Genesis 1, that the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was on the earth. Think on your mind what the earth without form looks like. And whatever comes to mind, that's not it because we don't know. But Jesus was there. This baby that is born in a manger was there. He was part of creation. Not that he was created. He was part of creation helping to create. Right. Let us make man. Let us go down. Genesis chapter 11. And so we see that Jesus is the eternal one, according to what John is saying. He's saying in the beginning was the word. What was Jesus? Jesus was completely in the beginning. In fact, if you remember the, the argument that happened in John chapter eight, where the where the Pharisees say to Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? Remember that story? What did Jesus say back to them? He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He did see it and he, re and he was glad. What did they say? Well, you're not even 50 years old. 
How, do you, how did you see our father Abraham? You're not even 50. What did Jesus say? He said, before Abraham was, I am. It's a direct reflection that I am God. So before Abraham was a twinkle in his father's eye, Jesus already was. That is what John is pointing out to us, that this child that the wise men have come to see is eternal. He's been here. He, he did not just arrive at his incarnation, but he's been here and he created. But look what the word says. Keep going. It says, and the word was with God, right? Greek word is prostathion. This idea conveys that he was with God means that he was face to face with God. This shows equality, right? This shows that they were in relationship. So not only was he a part and always here, but he's always been in fellowship with the Father. Always. But the, he doesn't just stop there. He says that the word was God. So he's eternal. He was with God. He was face to face. And, and this, that, that idea of being face to face and being in relationship with the Father, that, that completely destructs the idea of, of a, a doctrine called modalism which means that God, the Father, stopped being the Son to become, or stopped being the Father to become the Son, stopped being the Son to become the Holy Spirit. This verse isn't telling us that. It's telling us that they were in existence together, but there's a distinction between them. And so John is showing us that here, that this baby, this baby that is born in Bethlehem is eternal. He's equal with God. And by the way, he is God. Amen. That is what this, this is saying. But he gives us proof. He doesn't just stop there. He gives us proof. Look at verse number two. He was in the beginning with God. So reaffirming that. Look at verse three. All things were created through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so he's saying that only God can create. So he's reaffirming the fact that he's God by saying that he created. So Christ, Colossians tells us that too, right? Colossians 1, 16, that all things were created through him and for him. And so this verse is telling us that he's God. And let me show you how he's God, that he created. That's what this verse is saying, that he created. And just so we don't get it twisted, he says it twice. He said, all things were created through him. And somebody may scratch their head and say, well, this wasn't made through him. And then he says, and without him, not anything was made. So all things were made through him. Oh, and by the way, without him, nothing's made. That is what he's saying right here. Look at verse number four. We're just going to exegetically walk through this. Verse four, in him was life. So this also points to him being the creator and being God because he's given life. And only God can give life. This is Ephesians chapter two, right? We were dead and our trespasses and sin. By the time we get to verse five, it says we were made alive in Christ, right? This is Acts 17 as well. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. This is John 5, 15 as well, right? That, that Jesus is the true vine, right? And anything that, that's connected to him has life. That's what that verse is saying. I, we went and got a Christmas tree yesterday, and they asked me, do we want to trim off some of the, the, the branches? And we said, yeah, because they were at the bottom. So they trimmed them off, and they, they, they put them to the side. And I'm like, what are you going to do with those? Because I wanted to use them for a fire pit. So I'm like, what are you going to do with those? And, and the lady is like showing us that that these branches, because they're not connected to the tree, are going to die. Like, they, they don't have life. That is what John 15 is saying, that apart from him, we can do nothing. We have no life. Amen. That is what it's saying. And so, 
Verse number four says that he, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light that shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse number four again. It says, it says light in verse number four. In verse number five, it says light again. I mean, yeah, number five, it says light again. In verse number four, it says men. And in verse number five, it says darkness. So where is the darkness? John is showing us that the darkness is in the world of men. What, what, does, what does darkness mean? What, what does that actually mean? That means a spiritual state of being separated from God. That is the spiritual condition that all men are in. That's what John is saying, that he's the light of men. And, and, and he says that it's darkness in verse number five. And so men in darkness, there's only two times. This is not a literal sense of real darkness. There's only two times in the New Testament where real darkness, literal darkness is talked about. And that's at the crucifixion of Christ when it became dark. And that's when Christ comes back and the Bible says that the sun will be dark. There's only two times. Everything else talks about the darkness of our spiritual state. That is where we are. We are completely in darkness. And 21 times in this book, we see John talk about light. We see him talk about light. We see him talk about light. And light is best seen in darkness. Right? Light, that's the best way you can see light. But look at verse number five, the end of it. And the darkness has not overcome it. So the darkness, the, the sin, the wickedness cannot overcome this light. Right. It cannot overcome it. I don't care how big the room is. If you light a match, you're going to see light. Yeah. The darkness won't put out the light. The darkness will not put out the light. And so this infant that is in the manger has more power as an infant than all of the spiritual darkness in the world. Yeah. That, is the, that is who is born. That is who John is describing, and, and Recap talked about this earlier in, in 1 John 5, where he talked about overcoming the world. When he talked about that earlier, it's, it's the same sense in that, that, that the Bible shows us, even back into Genesis, the first promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first promise of salvation was to Adam, was not just to the forgiveness of, of his sins, but to the overcoming of his enemy, Satan. Right? Think about it. You'll, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so we know that darkness will not overcome the light. It cannot overcome the light. And so in other words, this infant that's born in a manger does not just save us from sin, but saves us from Satan's grip, saves us from darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. And so we know that he's the eternal one. He's a life giver. We see John saying, we see John saying that the light is shining in him, that he's the creator. He's creative. Now we're going to see that he's the revealed one. Look at this verse in verse number six. This, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, this is interesting that verse number seven says, talks about the light again. But sandwiched in between verse number four and five, talking about the light, and verse number seven, sandwiched in there is, is verse number six. It's amazing to me that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this and give us a clear picture about the witness about the light. Like he could have gave us the Christmas story and just talked about the light and we would have been happy. But in the Christmas story, he talks about the witness of the light. 
Why is that important? Why does the writer see and deem that it's important to introduce us to this? Why? Because it shows us our responsibility within the Christmas story. We have a responsibility to share and be a witness about this light. We all have to share in that responsibility. He could have used anybody. He did not have to use us. Right? We saw in Luke chapter 1 today, earlier today, if you were here, we saw that, that the angel Gabriel came to, to Mary. He could have used Gabriel to share about this light. He could have written in the sky with his finger, with a, with, a, with a puffy cloud, the gospel, and all of us could have believed. He could have did that. He could have caused the wind to tell us about the gospel. But he chose to use us. Sinful, wicked people he chose to use to bear witness about this light. Yes, yes. Do not overlook that, that in the midst of four and five talking about light, seven talking about light, that he introduces us to a witness. Someone that bears witness about the light. Don't overlook that. And please understand that John the Baptist, that's who we're talking about. John the Baptist was in a line full of witnesses. Let me read some of the witnesses to you. Goes all the way back. All, the, all of the, the Old Testament prophets, minor and major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah bore witness about the light, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of them pointed to what was to come. The difference with John is John wasn't pointing what was to come. John stood flat and said, he's here. This Christ that all of the Old Testament prophets pointed to is here. Christ has come. So John can stand and look and say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was a witness to the light, but he witnessed it from a place of being there. There's a difference between him and the rest of them. You know the story. It was 400 years of silence. And then the man comes wearing camel skin. The Bible says he had a leather belt on, eating bugs and honey. That's the guy that we would walk by on the street, right? That's the crazy dude. But the Bible says that, that, that the Lord used him yes. to bear witness about the yes. life. Yes. Don't overlook the fact that, that the Lord is deciding to show us what it looks like to look at the witness. Not just look at the light, but look at the witness. And, and that, that theme of witness will progress throughout the New Testament, right? It doesn't stop with John, but it progresses, progresses all the way to us sitting in this room. All of us now have a responsibility to share this light. Let's keep going. Verse number eight. He was not the light, though. So he bore witness about the light, but he didn't get it twisted. He knew he wasn't the light. He said that. Right? He said that, and in, 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 if you go to John chapter 3, verse number 28, he says, I am not the Christ. When they were trying to think he was, he says, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, who, the one who is the bride, the one, I'm sorry, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. In other words, I'm not in the wedding party. I'm just the usher. I'm the one going, it's, it's three seats over here. It's two seats over here. I'm the one gathering the people so we can all sit down and look at the light. That is what John is. And John knew that he was not the light. And so this verse is telling us that, that John was not the light. John was 
a, a small flashlight, because Jesus does say that he's a type of light. Later on, Jesus is going to say that. And so John was a small flashlight compared to a billion suns. That is what John was. John was more like the, the, the candle holder to the candle. That's what, that's what John was. He was like the moon. So the moon doesn't actually reflect its own light. It reflects the light from the sun. Amen. That's what it reflects. It reflects 3 to 12% of the light from the sun. That is what John is, and that is what we are. We're the moon reflecting the sun's light, and that is our job as witnesses. Look at the rest of verse number 8, though. It says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, this, this part of the passage really made me scratch my head because I had to ask myself this, this question. Why does light need an introduction? If it was dark in here, if every, the room was completely dark and someone turned on the light, I would not have to say, sit up here and say, hey, the lights are on. You guys would see the light, right? Unless we're spiritually blind. My, my, my. If we're all blinded here, it doesn't matter that the light is on. We won't see the light. And so John's job is to bear witness to blind people, to people that can't see. That is why he has to introduce the light. That is why he came to bear witness about the light, because there were spiritually blind people. This is 2 Corinthians. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4 says. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of of the gospel. So the greatest miracle is when blinded eyes, spiritual blinded eyes can be opened. It's the greatest, the greatest miracle is not on 34th street. The greatest miracle is seeing a dead heart made alive. It's the greatest miracle. Don't ever get it twisted. Seeing blinded eyes open to this message, this, this precious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest miracle. In fact, Jesus didn't come to just heal physical conditions of blind eyes. Because if he did, he could have spent his entire ministry just healing physical blind eyes and still not made a dent in the amount of blind people that's in the world. But he was pointing out a greater need, which is a spiritual blindness. This is why Saul of Tarsus is on a, is on a horse, is knocked off the horse. And two things happen when he's knocked off the horse. His spiritual eyes are awakened to Jesus, but what happens to his natural eyes? He gets blind. So Jesus is not after opening just blinded eyes, but it's about the heart. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, having the eyes of the heart enlightened. I didn't even know my heart had eyes. But the scripture is telling me that my heart has eyes. And so John bore witness about the light, but he's not just the light. Right. Watch what it says in verse number nine. He's not just the light, the true light. And so this this gives us a picture of the explicit nature of Jesus being the only way. Yes, yes. The trees, the true light. He's he there was other flickering lights, but he is the true light that stays lit. He's the only light that can shatter darkness. And this shows us. That there's no, like Jesus isn't the better of a bunch of different ways. Yes. He's the only way. Yes. Amen. And so we can get in this place where we're like, oh, well, yeah, that, I mean, that sounds good, but this religion has this. Jesus is the only way. And so that is what the writer is saying. He's saying he's the true light. 
He's not just the light, but he's the true light. And so that this infant that is born, right, he, he, he's born as the one true hope for all of the world. The one true hope. Look at the rest of verse 9, though. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so I, I take that literally. So everyone, everyone that's coming into the world. So that means that he's the light unto salvation to some and the light unto judgment. He exposes the wickedness in our heart. That's what that verse is saying, that he's the, the true light that comes into the world. That's what he is. Verse number 10, let's keep going. Verse number 10 says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. I, I want to lift back up that, that middle part, yet the world did not know him. When it talks about know, it talks about a, an intimacy. Of, of course they saw him. Of course people talked to him, but did they know him? Is, is what John is saying. The world did not know him. Not only his, did the world didn't know him, but his own didn't know him. His own people, the people he came to save, did not know him. Right? The, the, the Israelites, the, the Jews, did not know him. We see that with, with the Pharisees, right? When, when, the, when Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the scriptures that bear witness about me. And so they, as a Pharisee, you would have had to know the entire Torah by heart. You would have had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy by heart. Leviticus, you would have had to memorize. Like, think about that. The entire thing. That's what a Pharisee would have had to do by the age of 10. So they were biblical scholars, yet they did not recognize the light when it came. Like, they were biblical scholars and didn't recognize him. And not only, the crazy part about it is, if you look who got it wrong, it was the people that we would have thought would have gotten it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But demons got it right. Yeah. Like, think about that. When you look at the scripture at Mark chapter 1, verse 24, when the demon said, what have you to do with us? And then he says, he says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is what the demon said. In fact, those, those around him didn't even know. He, remember, he has the disciples. He said, who do men say I am? They said, they said John the Baptist and Elijah. They didn't know who he was. And that is what John is saying here, that his own people did not know him. But some did. Look at verse number 12. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So there were some that did believe Pastor Larry talked about that this morning. He talked about Simeon and Anna, right? Remember Simeon grabs the baby. Like, first of all, that's weird. Don't ever grab anybody's baby. But Simeon walks up and just grabs the baby, and he says, you can dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He, he didn't just think that salvation was found in Jesus. He, he knew that salvation was Jesus, he said, my eyes have, he didn't say my eyes have seen the one that will bring salvation. He said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Yes. Jesus embodies what salvation is. And so some did believe, but not everybody believed. But look what the verse says. It says in verse 12, but that those who believed, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not Facebook friends, 
not, not, not members, not associates, not members of the club, children of God. Those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. And so it shows that this baby born in a manger reconciles man and God, gave us an ability to be able to have a right relationship with God the Father. That is what, that is who is born. That is what the Christmas story is about. But let's keep going in verse 13. I want to get through, that's why I'm moving kind of fast. I want to get through all the way to 18. Verse 13 says this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so this act of salvation has nothing to do with us. This is not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is not follow a bunch of rules and you'll get it. This said, not of the will of man. And so it is completely an act of a sovereign God who is in complete control of salvation. The funny thing about, about the sovereignty of God when it, comes to, um, when it comes to salvation, even people that don't believe, even people that believe in free will pray for their, their family members to be saved. Like, think about that. I believe in free will. I believe I have a choice. Oh, but I want you to go against my, my father's free will and save him. This is what this is saying. This is saying that it's not by the will of man. It's not because you desired it. You had no desire. It's not because someone desired it for you. I desire a lot of my family members to be saved. But it's not about that. It's about a sovereign act of a good and gracious God that saves. It's not the will of us. Not the will of man. Not because you desired it. Not because you have a desire for someone else to be saved. But it's because of the, 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 the one true God that is able to save. He's able to save. Let's keep going, though. Because the, the interesting thing is we, we're up to verse number 14, and we still, we know who he's talking about, but he still has not explicitly showed us yet. Right? He's, building this, he's building this case. But look at verse 14. He's going he's gonna to answer a lot of questions in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This means he literally, if you looked at the, the meaning behind dwelt among us, it means he pitched a tent. Yes. He moved in. He became a resident. So the incarnation of Christ is so much different than us moving to the hood. It's different than that. This is God. This is Christ that is on his throne being worshiped, constantly worshiped, decided to come down and dwell among us. He dwelt among us. The Bible says he, uh, the, the, the meaning is he pitched a tent. The one who created all things decided to come as one of his creation. That's who is born. So the, the invisible became visible. The untangible became tangible, right? The, the one that was unseen became seen. The mystery became reality. That is what the scripture is saying. The creator stepped into time. It was no time in the beginning, but he stepped into time. He incarnated himself into time, and he did not stop being God. He came into time and still was God. Colossians 2.9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so he, he didn't come and, and, and stop being God at that moment. But the baby that's born in a manger is 100% man and 100% God. Why does he have to be that? 100% man because man owned the debt. 100% God because only God can appease God. 
And so we needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed somebody that was 100% man and 100% God. And we get that in Jesus Christ, being born of a virgin woman, a teenage virgin woman. We get that. And so he, he's now able to be born sinless because he was not born from the bloodline of Adam. He's, he's now able to come and, and not have to have the testimony of David. I was born in sin and, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He doesn't have that testimony. He doesn't have that testimony. Why? Because he skipped the bloodline of Adam and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came over Mary. Let's keep going. We're almost done. Verse 14. Let's finish verse 14. And we have seen his glory, the glory, glory as of the, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is not partial grace. This is not partial truth. This is not a little bit of grace, a little bit of truth. This is not 40% grace and 60% truth, 100% grace and 100% truth. Do you, let me tell you why that's good news. Let me tell you why that's good news. Because he could have came in full judgment and full wrath. He's good, he could have came like that. But the Bible says he came in full grace and in full truth. He could have came, like Acts 19 says, with fire in his eyes, a sword in his mouth, to devour the nations. And he is coming like that. He's coming back like that. But when he came here, he came in full grace and full truth. And that is good news to us. How do we know that he was gracious? Because he welcomed sinners and tax collectors. Who else eats with sinners? In that time, eats with sinners and tax collectors. We know that he was full of grace because he had compassions on crowds that were hungry. How else do we know that he was full of grace? Because he healed lepers and lame people and blind people. Not just healed them with a word, but touched them. Which was against the Levitical law. He He was full of grace because he saved a criminal on the cross. Full of grace. But he was also truth because he condemned the religious leaders of that time. And he called them out on their hypocrisy and their lies. So he knew that he was not just gracious, but he was truthful. He he prophesied judgment on Jerusalem. Truthful. He obeyed the law perfectly. The Bible says not even deceit was found in his mouth. So he was full of grace and full of grace. Of truth. Why is it that we as followers of Jesus can't imitate that grace and truth? We, we're full of pride and full of arrogance. But our Savior, our King, is full of grace and He's full of truth. He goes back to Him being eternal. Look at verse 15. John bore witness about Him and He cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. He says this again in, 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 uh, in, in verse number 30 of the same chapter. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So in other words, the one that I'm preparing the way for is really already before me. He's going back to him being completely eternal. The one that comes after me is already really before me. That's what John is pointing out here. He's already, he's before me. This is the one that I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He goes back to the fact that he is eternal. Verse 16, I want to get through this. Verse 16. For from his fullness, we have all received, listen to this. This is powerful. 
grace upon grace. And Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. I grew up on the Jersey Shore, and we used to, on the Jersey Shore, we used to go to the beach, and we used to watch the waves, and I was always mesmerized how, was, how there was never a pause between the waves. They just wave after wave after wave. And we used to, I don't know if y'all did this, we used to write in the sand, try to write our name real quick, and the water would come and hit it and wash it out. That's exactly what this is like, grace upon grace. This is wave upon wave, grace upon grace. This is you writing sin, S-I-N, in the sand and watching the water just hit it, boom, and take it out. Grace after grace after grace after grace after grace. That is what John is talking about here. He says that, he, look, he says, he says, he says, from, for from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. See, I thought that you would be more excited about that. And the reason I thought you'd be more excited about that is, is because people that know that they were far off rejoice about grace. Right? And not only do we rejoice about grace, but when we're in relationship with someone else, this is how you know that you don't understand grace. When you don't know how to deal with someone else's sin and you look down on them for their sin. That's how we know that we're, we're, we're not understanding of this grace, but the Bible tells us that this baby born in a manger brought grace upon grace. That's good news. Verse 17, let's finish up. For the law was given through Moses. Here it is again. Grace and truth came through Jesus. And so the law revealed the holiness of God, and it revealed where we come short. Right, that the Ten Commandments isn't a list that I have to line up with in order to be accepted by God. The Ten Commandments, and that's just a piece of the law. There's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. The, the Ten Commandments show me that I can't keep them, and that is why I needed Jesus. And, and so th this verse is telling us that Moses brought partial truth and no grace because of the law. But Jesus brought a fulfillment of the law, and he brought grace. He, he, he completed what we could not complete. But when he did it and we couldn't complete it, he brought grace. That's what the verse is telling us. And so when we witness, when, when I talked about us being a witness, we can't be a witness from a privileged position. Like people do that. Like, you ever heard someone share the gospel like, like, we, they, like, they, were all, like they earned it? Like that's not the gospel. The gospel is I fall short like you fall short. But, but th this is telling us that Christ came with grace and truth, and he fulfilled the, com the complete law. So I'm finishing up here. Last verse. This is how we know. This is how it, those questions we have in our mind of what is God like, this verse answers it. Look at what it says. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Christ has made him known. So we know, this is Colossians, he is the, the, he is the image of the invisible God. We know now what God is like by looking at Jesus. You want to know what God is, look at Jesus. That is what the scripture is telling us. Look at Jesus. So we're called to be a witness. This is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story without mangers and without Christmas trees. This is the Christmas story that talks about Jesus Christ incarnation. Yes. 
That is what this is. And, and some of you as a witness, and that's what I really want to point out tonight, is that we must be a witness to this story. Some of us have failed to be witnesses. Let's just be honest. But, but Peter failed when he denied Jesus. But we also see in Acts 2 that he stands up and, and, he, and he proclaims Jesus and 3,000 souls be added to the church. What am I saying? That if you fail to be a witness to this light, we still have another chance. Yes. Now, some of you will gather, and I'm, I'm finishing up here. Some of you will gather with family members that don't believe in Jesus this week. Some of you will sit around a table and, and, and share Christmas stories and, and think of history and things that happen. What I want to charge you and challenge you to do is be a witness to the light. Don't be the light. This is not about you. Let's, let's be a witness. Let's be, just bear witness to the light that's in this story. And so in other religions, I'm ending, in other religions, men are promised that they'll be gods. But in the Christmas story, God became a man, mm, dwelt among us, lived perfectly, wow. I mean spotlessly, goes to a cross, wow. dies, and then gives us his righteousness. Yeah. Gives it to us. And then he took on our sin and was crushed, was, I mean, brutally crushed. Think about the, when you think about a picture of Jesus, the picture we think about is him on a cross. And this, this infant that is born is not just anybody. This is one that will fulfill everything. And this is one that will come back for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. Father, we are rocked by this Christmas story. This is not a good Christmas, this is not a good nighttime story. This is not a good story just to tell our kids it's something cute and funny that we do seasonally. But Father, this is everything to us. That you decided to send your best. You didn't send Gabriel. You didn't send the Archangel Michael. You sent Jesus Christ, your one and only. Thank you. Hallelujah. To come be worshipped by wise men. Be rejected by his own people. Be spit on, be blindfolded and struck in the face and said, which one of us struck you? Prophesy to us which one of us struck you. Go to a cross, take nails for us, get beaten mercifully, and then give us his 100% righteousness. And so, Father, we bank all of our chips on Jesus. And we thank you that you've given us insight to who Jesus is. And you didn't even tell us about a baby. You just told us who he was before time. And we're grateful for that. Father, this Christmas season, I pray that you would convict us to share this story with our family members. Convict us to share this, even after the Christmas season. Convict us to talk about Jesus. Be witnesses of the light that came and shined, and, and, and shined brightly. This is the one true light. And Father, we thank you for giving us him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.